You're listening to The Souvenir Shop, a podcast about random objects from the past. Number 15. Captain Ginger. A bound collection of sheet music, mostly from the 19th and early 20th centuries, which belonged to my father. Some of its contents feel fragile now. A set of songs printed for the times, not for the ages. Few people resisted the change from vinyl to CD back in the 80s and 90s. Familiar albums now had a new depth and clarity to them. Some even needed remastering to get rid of the studio air conditioning or heavy breathing before that uncovered. Despite now struggling between the rock of Spotify and the hard place of vinyl snobbery, the compact disc still stands for quality and convenience. The only problem is the packaging. The album cover versus CD case argument is a hackneyed one. It usually starts with, I miss being able to follow the lyrics, and ends with, you can't skid up on a CD. We've all heard it, and I don't mean to replay it here. I do miss album covers, be they the iconic simplicity of Dark Side of the Moon, or the Byzantine intricacy of Jethro Tull's Thick as a Brick but I'm still not bothered enough to return to vinyl. In fact, I only mention it because recorded sound, starting almost half a century before Columbia Records put together the first LP, itself killed off the art of sheet music. Commercial sheet music still exists, but now only features a publicity shot of the artist most associated with the song, if it features anything at all. However, the Edwardian era, and earlier, when it was the only method of distributing a song en masse, saw piano arrangements of popular songs with covers as detailed and as beautiful as Sgt Pepper or as subtle as its white follow-up. My dad was a fan of Music Hall on both an intellectual and a deeply emotional level. As a kid, his own father worked long hours as a bookkeeper and only got to properly spend time with his son on Saturday mornings. Grandpa would spend a lingering hour shaving and grooming himself at the kitchen sink, while Dad sat by him on a stool, and what they did together was sing music hall songs. This was their bonding time. They weren't the bike rides or go-kart manufacturer we see in Hollywood films, but few can deny the appeal of a six-year-old boy and his dad together singing The End of Me Old Cigar. Shortly after his D-Mob in 1947, at the age of 22, Dad joined Unity Theatre in Islington, the natural home for a young lefty with an urge to dress up and show off. At his audition, he sang one of his party pieces, Harry Bedford's A Little Bit Off The Top, and was not only accepted, but also invited to help run their music hall group. While the old variety theatres were dropping like flies, Unity saw Music Hall as a genuine manifestation of working-class culture, with great songs performed by incredible characters, a phenomenon worth preserving beyond the spontaneous choruses of Two Lovely Black Eyes before closing time. Their weekend Music Hall show, Winkles and Champagne, stayed in the repertoire by popular demand with cast and bill changes, and became such a hit that in 1948, BBC Television broadcast it live from their Lime Grove studios. 
it was Dad's first TV appearance. By day, Dad punctuated his biochemistry studies at Chelsea College with lunchtime trips to the sheet music department of Francis Day and Hunter on Charing Cross Road. FD&H was one of the linchpins of Tin Pan Alley, where singers and musicians earnestly sought the dots, the manuscripts and chord charts, essential for their profession. Experts, with an encyclopedic knowledge of their stock, usually besuited resting actors, staffed FD&H. On one occasion, the director of Winkles and Champagne sent Dad there to find an obscure old American vaudeville song. Do you have a copy of They're Wearing Them Higher in Hawaii? My father asked at the counter. The shop assistant instantly beamed, raised his two index fingers and sang, Oh, they're wearing them higher in Hawaii. No, sorry, love. We haven't seen it for years. In amongst the Ang Shelton or Donald Pierce numbers in the second-hand sheet music section, Dad sought out yellowing gems as sung by Mary Lloyd, G.H. Chergwin and Dad's absolute favourite, Gus Elan. No one was buying them because by then no one was singing them. Plus, it needs saying, many of the songs were pretty terrible. Nearly all the numbers in Dad's collection probably haven't been heard in public for over a century. In fact, most musical songs might now be lost forever. And even when we think we know a number which has survived, we probably only know the chorus, often with good reason. Google the full lyrics to Lily of Laguna, for example, and you will see why we now only ever hear the refrain beginning, She's My Lady Love. The Unity Theatre Variety Group eventually split off and went professional, calling themselves the Victorians and obtaining a licence from London County Council to perform in the open-air park theatres. On a warm summer evening in the 1950s, up to 2,000 punters regularly paid one and six admission plus threepence for a song sheet to see old-time music hall. The Victorians launched quite a few professional careers, including those of my Auntie Rose and Uncle Bernie, but it was to be the swan song of my father's theatrical endeavours. Juggling the needs of his day job as a scientist and a young family was hard enough, and my own arrival in 1959 proved a responsibility too far. Dad still occasionally donned his Leichner 5 and 9 makeup for an amateur or charity gig in subsequent years, so thankfully I got to see his renditions of Captain Ginger and my own favourite, The Spaniard That Blighted My Life. But his best audience was always his three sons, who insisted on two songs every night after the bedtime story. In 2014, my friend Toby co-wrote and directed a one-man show by Graham McPherson, better known as Suggs from the group Madness. He gave Anita and me comps when it played locally and afterwards, in a nearby pub, the director and star pumped me for my opinion of the show. It was brilliant. You know it was brilliant. But just one tiny thing. What's that? said Suggs. You sang a snippet from If It Wasn't For The Houses In Between and got the tune completely wrong. They both looked at each other. I told you it was wrong, said Suggs to Toby, then turning back to me. 
we couldn't find the sheet music, so all we had was an old recording on YouTube, and the quality was so bad we couldn't make out the tune. He whipped out his phone and pressed record. Could you sing it for me now? I hesitantly went through the first verse and chorus, while the nearest thing we have to a living musical legend held his phone next to me. Oh, it really is a very pretty garden, and Chingford to the eastward can be seen. And with a ladder and some glasses, I could see to Acne Marshes, if it wasn't for the houses in between. Cheers, Matt, said Suggs. But how do you know it? My dad used to sing it to me at bedtime. I think I'd have got on with your dad. I think he probably would. That was Captain Ginger, written and read by Matthew Diamond. If you enjoyed this, then why not hit like and subscribe on Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. And I'll see you next time.